0: As Philip mentioned during our prayer time um, so last week was Easter we all know and uh, you know Friday, Good Friday and Easter are probably the, the climax of the entire um, Bible when Jesus died for our sins and then when he was resurrected and then uh, forty days from Easter is another great climax when Jesus ascends into heaven um, before over 500 people and, um, and then nine days after that is the is the day of Pentecost when these 120 believers who are gathered in an upper room, uh, receive the promise of the Holy Spirit, and then they're empowered, and within a single day, they go from 120 to 3, 000, over 3,000 believers in a single day. Now, but what happens between those two great climaxes of the church? Um, and, and as I thought about that this week, I mean, the reality is is that we all have to, we all also have those up and downs sometimes, right? We have those great moments when we uh, come to under, understand the gospel, when we experience God's closeness, but there are also those stretches of days when we wonder, you know, where is God? I know that Jesus loves me because the Bible says, tells, tells me so, and I'm convinced that the, the height of God's love for us was displayed on the cross. But what about now? I mean, what if I were in Ukraine right now? What would I be thinking? Does God still love me and our, and our country? And you know, I, I say those things because that is one of the dilemmas of the Christian life. I mean, how do we keep on believing that Jesus really loves us, even at, at whatever the point that I'm in? And, uh, and, you know, we have this one little chapter, the last chapter of the Gospels and the Gospel of John that occurs between the Gospels and, and, the, and the exciting events of the book of Acts, and, and that's John chapter 21. And, and that's the book that, uh, that we'll be looking closely today. And uh, as I started studying this passage, it's been a great blessing. And I realized that I was trying to do, uh, cram three sermons into one. <laughs> so I'm just going to do part one today. And I pray that you, you guys will pick up the slack and uh, on your own read the rest of the chapter. And may the Lord bless you uh, in your reading and meditation of his word. So um, let me, uh, before I uh, uh, read, let me just give you a quick guide to chapter, uh, John chapter 20, uh, 21. Uh, there are three major parts of this chapter or the three major themes First is, um, uh, I encourage you to see, uh, and this is what we're going to do today, how Jesus loved the disciples, the seven disciples that are mentioned here. S- and, and we need to see that so that we can understand how he loves us now. See, Jesus is ever the same. The way he loved the disciples in John chapter 21 is the way he still loves us. Second, listen to how Jesus asked them to love him, especially Peter, so we can love him In his way, right? It's a classic problem of marriage, right? When you have two people that tries to communicate love, but they just don't understand each other. And sometimes that happens in our relationship with Jesus as well. And third, to learn from Jesus' way of loving. His way of loving is not like our way of loving. So we can love as he has loved us. So I pray that that these things will be in your mind and that you will continue your own meditation and study through the week. So let me just jump into the chapter. Here we go. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as uh, Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed him in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not, broke, was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. And did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When dead finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, Follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for loving us through every phase of our life. When we're sinners, when we're new converts, when we become disappointed, when we fall, thank you for ever being the same. And thank you for this precious word from you. May this encourage everyone who's here. And may it help us to be rooted more in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to look at how Jesus loved them, these seven disciples specifically. Now, the first way that he loved them is that Jesus presents himself to them. So what do I mean by that? The it's actually some of the modern translations are a little bit unclear, so I dug out NASB 1995, and I'm, let me read this, what it says. And you can see the highlighted version here. After these things, Jesus manifested. And this is a kind of a special Greek word that says to make visible, clear. It's kind of like appear, reveal. And that's what some of the modern trans- translations use. But, but the word manifested suggests strongly that it was something that was kind of hidden and just made visible. It was made clear. And, he, and uh, he goes on uh, uh, that Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias or Galilee. And he manifested himself in this way. And then in verse uh, 14 at the end of this paragraph, he says, this is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now you guys have forest know there are two main literary devices in scripture to, to help clue us readers in at, at what is important. One is the repetition. So you, you see the same word repeated three times in a short paragraph. And then the other one is inclusio, right? The first uh, verse here begins with I mean, inclusio, the word manifested. The last one is manifested. Why th- does, the, uh, does, uh, does the author of John bring our attention to this word? Well, because it is very important. And it may be an obvious truth, but as we look at it, it's much more than what it appears on the surface. So, why does he mention this? Well, The first thing we should do is we should look around the context. And if you go to John chapter 14, it's actually a different Greek word, but it means the same thing, okay? So this is a section where Jesus is talking to the disciples and explaining to them what's going to happen as he he faces the cross. And here's, here's what he says. He says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Notice again the repetition of the word love. You see, what Jesus does is he connects his love with the manifestation of himself, the revealing of himself. Now, a couple of points to make. So what does this mean? Well, first of all, by the tense, the future tense, what he's saying is that he will, first of all, continue in his act of love, that his love will not just stop when he dies on the cross, that his love will not stop when he goes to heaven after he's ascended, but his love will continue on. And how is his love expressed? He says, I, because I love you, will continue to manifest myself to you. I will reveal myself to you. Now, again, it's interesting in Scripture, unlike every other religion or field of study, knowledge is not primarily about facts, knowing facts, knowing points, you know? Knowledge is about knowing a person. And what the scripture does is that it reveals, not, of course it reveals God's truth, but more important than that, it reveals a person. So that's why Jesus says in 14.6, I am the way and the truth. I am the truth. It's not a set of doctrine. It's not a set of philosophy. It's not a set of beliefs. It is me personally. And what I will reveal to you in my love is not just points of theology or helpful hints how we can live, but I will reveal myself to you, I will make it so that you will sense me, and you will see me, and you will know me in a deep, personal way. Now, what's amazing thing about it is this, because Jesus is not just an ordinary person, as John one one claims, He is God. And so, in His last prayer, extended prayer to God before He goes to the cross, in John seventeen, He says, He prays to the Father, God the Father, and says, "I have manifested," same word. Your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you. Information, perhaps, but not personally. um, And these, his disciples, know that you have sent me. I made known, same word again, to them uh, your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. What, what Jesus is saying is this. In Him revealing Himself, manifesting Himself to us, what we encounter is not just a great human being. We're encountering the Almighty God. I mean, just think about that for a second. The God who created the universe, the infinite God becomes finite. The invisible God becomes visible. The unapproachable God in His holiness become somebody we can approach and get to know on a personal level. This truth is nowhere else in the world except in the scriptures. And Jesus promises that he will continue to make himself known. Why is that so important? Well, a couple of things. Think about the fact that in less than 40 days, Jesus will go to heaven beyond our reach. And think about the fact that 2,000 years later, he hasn't reappeared in his second coming. Well, how would Jesus continue to make himself known? Because if he loves us, he says, he will continue to make himself known. And this has been the testimony of the church. Yes, there are times when God, through visions, after his ascension, through visions, um, appeared to people. For example, he did to Paul when he was on the road to Damascus, and later when he's in, when he's in trial, he says, when he was utterly alone, he said Jesus stood next to him. And there are those people, I've met people who've had these type of encounters where they, where they uh, experience appearance of Jesus, manifestation of Jesus in their lives. But we have to admit, even in scriptures, those are very, very few and rare. Maybe some of you have. But then how does Jesus manifest himself as his promised? we know that the primary way that he manifests himself is through the scriptures. This is why even last week, as as Pastor Paul preached, it was when Jesus was there physically, but they weren't so impressed by that. But when he began to open up their mind and open up the scriptures, their hearts were burning. Meaning the scriptures are the ways in which Jesus continues to reveal himself. I cannot tell you how many times, even this time when when I'm reading these words... I feel a deep sense that Christ is with me. Or in our house churches, or even in churches. And I think many of you can identify with that, right? This is how Jesus continues to manifest himself, through the Spirit, in his word, through his community. So the first way Jesus continues to to love them and us is by continuing to present himself, make himself present with us. And I pray that whatever situation you're in, that you will experience the love of Christ through his presence in a very personal sense. Second, Jesus showed his love by prompting their faith. Now, this may take a little explanation. So I'll begin with a question Why were these disciples in Galilee? You ever thought about that? Why in Galilee? Is it just because they're from Galilee? Actually, it was because they actually listened to Jesus. See, on the night that he was betrayed, the last instruction that he gave them was this. He says, um, so after the Lord's Supper, they had sung a hymn, and they, the disciples, went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus told them, the very night you will all fall away on a, on academy, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock, the disciples, will be scattered. But then here's his but, but. After I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Jesus made this promise. You know, I have to admit, a lot of times when I read the Scriptures, I kind of look down on the disciples. Ah, they just didn't get it, right? You ever feel like that? But let me tell you, maybe there are some parts in the earlier on that's true, but after they have seen the resurrected Lord and the empty tomb, my goodness, these people are amazing. In their faith. So what do they do? They remember what Jesus said. And they go to Galilee. That's why they're there. Now, but why was Jesus going? Why did he say, I'm going to go ahead of you? Why? Well, there may be some mysterious reasons, but there's actually a very plain reason. And this is this. He wanted his disciples to respond to him by faith. He said, look, I'm going to go ahead of you in Galilee. And that caused the disciples to move. Interesting tidbit, the word faith occurs a whole bunch of times in the book of John, but never as a noun. Belief or faith is always a verb, right? Faith isn't just something you hold in your hand, John tells us. It's something that causes you to move. And because they had faith, the disciples took that arduous journey from Jerusalem back to Galilee to perhaps face ridicule and shame. Hey, what happened to your Messiah? They went back and they stood. And they showed up because they were expecting and believing that Jesus would do the same. But where was Jesus? He didn't show up. It looked like he wasn't there. I mean, we know he eventually shows up, but in some way, Jesus was really late. Right? I mean, why did he do that? Well, it wasn't just just Jesus had better things to do. He actually had a very intentional reason. You see... And this is the thing, again, that he wanted to try to teach, which actually Pastor Paul mentioned many times in his sermon. You see, we human beings operate in chronos, Greek word, which means time. And this is the word where we get the word chronological. It's the t- time that we count. That's the time that we usually, 99% of the times, we operate in. You say, well, Jesus, you're late. You, you know, we were expecting you a few days earlier. But notice this. Jesus always operates in kairos. That's another word for time in Greek, which... which Sometimes it's translated as the opportune time or the right time or just at the right time. You see, we gotta, we, we got to get this straight in our minds. If you want to understand how God loves us, how God relates to us, we have to understand this difference. You know, Greek helps, but just the, the concept. See, we operate on a different level of time. God does things at the right time. It seems late to him, but it's at the right time. You know, there's many instances of that in my life. But I know for about 22 years, maybe longer, I waited like, when am I going to marry? And I was 32. I confess it was the right time. I wanted about 10 years earlier. But Jesus was right. I was wrong. So, why was Jesus late? What was he doing? Well, he was operating on Kairos here. And uh, here's, I believe, why Jesus did this. See... By being quote-unquote late in Kronos, the disciples had to wait. They they would have to stretch their faith. You know, have you ever felt that? I mean, you believe in something, the Lord will do something, and one day passes, one month, one year, and the longer you wait, what happens? Our faith flags. Sometimes we even walk away. But you know what Jesus is doing? He's not trying to destroy our faith. He's trying to stretch it. Stretch it as furthest as it can can go. And the amazing thing about the disciples here is that they stuck around. They stuck around waiting for Jesus even when Jesus appeared that he wasn't there. You know, here's an important point we must understand about our relationship with God. See, our relationship with God must must be mediated by his grace, meaning he has to initiate it in his own time, in his own way, and from his own mercy, and, and we meet that through our faith. This is how we relate to God. You know, Pastor Paul gave a great points about certitude versus faith, right? And hope. All through scriptures, the only way man can relate to God is through faith. So here's the point. Jesus, God, whatever he does, He does it with this aim in mind. He's trying to maximize our faith. He's trying to maximize our faith. Even if it means he nearly breaks us. Not only does God work to, to prompt your faith to increase, to stretch it wide. He placed the disciples in a community of love. What do I mean by that? You Look at the list of people. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, uh, sons of Zebedee, two other disciples. I'm like, okay, it's not the 12. Why is it just seven, right? Well, again, we're not quite clear. But one thing that's obvious about this list is that it's a very odd mixture of people. It's a very diverse group. For example, you've got Simon Peter, who's very well-known, the leader. Then you got this on one side, and then on the other episode, and you got these two unknown people that you don't that we don't know any, we don't really know who they are. They're not even named. And then we have Nathan, uh, we have Thomas in the previous chapter. He's the one who said, oh, I'll never believe. He's the last of the disciples to believe. Because he said, Unless I put my finger, and see Jesus and put my finger in his hands and his side, I will not believe. The last disciple to believe was, was Nathaniel. Well, the I am mean, Thomas. Nathanael, on the other hand, was the first guy to believe. Go back and look at John chapter 1. I mean, Jesus says one thing, and the next thing he says is like, you are, the, you are the Son of God. First guy and the last guy are paired together. And then you have Peter, guy full of action, always the first guy to speak and to act. And then you have the sons of, uh, of Zebedee, John especially, who doesn't do anything, but he's always the first guy with the insight. He's the one who figured out. Peter and John run together to the tomb. Peter gets there, I'm uh, uh, I'm sorry, John gets there first. uh, But Peter is the one who goes in. And he looks around and he doesn't get it. And John figures it out. And you'll see that in a second too. So these are a very diverse group of people. And so what does God do? What does Jesus do? He puts them together and forces them into a community. How do I know that? Look at this little word. See, these disciples were together. And this is amazing. In this time of incredible confusion and darkness and perhaps even fear, they stuck around in faith in Galilee. They stuck around. And not only did they stuck around, they stuck together. They stayed together in love. That's what love does. There's something else going on here. We see them practicing love by serving one another. What do I see this? Well, look what Peter says. I'm going out to fish. Now, I know there are some commentators that have said, well, he's saying that because, you know, he's backsliding. He gave up on Jesus. Well, think about that. That doesn't make any sense. He just saw the empty tomb. He just, he he, he saw and, and witnessed the resurrected Jesus Christ. Why would he backslide, right? No, he was waiting and waiting. And everybody's waiting, and guess what? It's not like they have ATMs or credit cards back then, right? They had left everything to follow Jesus. And after a while, maybe days after, they started getting hungry and all the leftover food was gone. So here's what, what does Peter do? He said, you know what, guys? I used to be a fisherman, even though I never caught anything after Jesus. I'm going to go and catch some fish so that we can eat. He was serving. And then the other six, I said, yeah, we'll help you too. Let's all go out, serve each other. And in order for them to think about that, they had to forgive each other. Forgive the fact that that they they all fell, especially Peter. So they forgave each other and started serving each other. Now, again, Peter and the disciples, they got what Jesus was trying to teach them. In Luke 22, actually this was during the Last Supper again, a dispute rose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. They were arguing, right? Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not like that. You are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you, I e. Peter, should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Peter totally got it. He said, "You know what? I'm the leader." guess what? I'm going to serve these other guys. So he jumps in. This is what a community of love looks like. And there's another thing. This is amazing. When, uh, after the, you know, the net and then the catching of the fish, right? You know, they were all occupied, just amazed about the, the size of the catch. Okay? And then look what happens. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, John here, says to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, "It is the Lord," he wrapped his outer garment around him and jumped into the water. You see what happens here? Peter didn't recognize Jesus. It took another disciple, who was gifted with insight, to point that out. And Peter, who was gifted with fast action, jumps into the water. You see what they're doing? This is what, it, what I, the way I put it. See, the, they're speaking Christ into one another. I mean, especially young folks here, you guys may wonder, like, how do I discern God's will, right? Let me tell you, you're not going to discern it just wondering by yourself. Because most likely the answer is not within yourself. God wants you to put in a body of Christ followers who God will use to speak into your lives. This is what happens throughout scriptures. This is why we live in community. And this is why God places us in a community of love. So that people can see us and love us and know us. And God will be pleased to speak through them to us. Don't do it alone. Now, this is exactly what Paul mentions in Ephesians chapter 4. Speaking the truth in love, we will all grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by uh, every supporting ligament grows and builds itself in love as each part does its work. Well, quickly, here's the point that Paul is making. We grow spiritually together, not just individually. It's almost impossible. This is where the monks fail. We don't grow spiritually alone. We grow together in community. But how? As we speak Truth, i.e. Christ, in Christ-like love. You know, you can have a great loving community, but if you're not sensitive to the Word of God and the Spirit of God, we will not understand or know God's will. We will not recognize His timing. And this is why, again, all of these are, are so important to acting together. Not only did Jesus place them in a community of love, Actually, there's a big reason why they didn't just all scatter and, and disband. It's because Jesus prays for their spiritual growth, protection, and unity. Look at it again, Luke 22. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to, to sift all of you as wheat. But I pray for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. He, he did fall, but his faith didn't. And when you have turned back, Jesus says, strengthen your brothers. See, Peter was standing because Jesus has been praying for him. And then he goes on, he says, my prayer is not that, in in his prayer uh, to God, he says, my prayer is not that you take them, the disciples, out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for all those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Jesus prays for three things here, spiritual growth, spiritual protection, and unity. And you know, let me just talk about, Protection for a second. He's not talking about physical protection, obviously, here. As much as we want that God was uh, pr- protect the people of Ukraine, we know that many have already died, including... But the one guarantee, and we see that all through scriptures, all of the 12 uh, uh, apostles died horrible death, And not only them, the, the, the uh, disciples of the original disciples, they all died martyrs. God did a horrible job. It's like zero for 24 when it comes to physical protection. But guess what? They're worshiping around the throne of God. Their bodies fell, but their spirits, their faith did not. We don't know what lies ahead, guys. Guys. We don't know what lies ahead. But may we be assured that Jesus is interceding for us, that our faith may not fail, fail, and that we will join him one day. Anything else besides that is not the Bible. Furthermore, he also loves them by providing for their daily bread. This is probably my favorite portion here. You know, when they get to there, they see a beach, and they see burning coals, and there's a fish on it, and bread. And Jesus says, come and have breakfast. Notice what happens here. They caught a bunch of fish, but that's not what they eat from. Jesus provided the bread and the fish beforehand. In fact, the word, there's actually two different words for fish. The fish that the disciples caught were huge, right? But the fish that they ate was this tiny fish that Jesus had prepared. I don't know where he got it from. But the point that Jesus is making is this. He is the one who is responsible to give us our daily bread. This is exactly what he says in, in Matthew 6. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? He says, for the pagans run after these clothes and drink and wear, but your Heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek First, his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. He says, You'll give it to us. He doesn't say you gotta work for it. You know, and here's the point that Jesus is making. So the reason why he said, I will give you, I will guarantee your daily bread, not two-day bread, but daily bread, is so that you can be freed from the preoccupation with their needs. And maybe greed. And be first. Occupied. I couldn't think of a better word, so I made one up. Jesus wants us to be first occupied with his will, not our needs, and not our, certainly not our luxuries. And related to that, he's saying, look, he says, he will give as we seek. I really wish, and actually I thought before I read this passage, I understood that what he meant was, he's going to give us the daily bread, then we can go pursue his kingdom. No, he's saying he's going to, he wants us to pursue him in faith, even when we don't have daily bread. Our concern, he says, your work, your occupation is his kingdom. And by faith, we have to trust that he will give us a daily bread. I have not been living like this. This has been really challenging. It is stretching my faith. But that's exactly what Jesus wants to do to me and to you. Furthermore, he's not just talking about daily bread. He's talking, he, by talking about the daily bread in the manner that it, he's pointing them to the heavenly bread. And there's actually several different nuances here. The first heavenly bread that he points them to is Christ himself. In John 6, he says, after the feeding of the Father, he says, Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. What is he saying? He's saying, just as daily bread sustains our daily physical lives, Jesus gives us his eternal life, and we have to feed on him. And, and that is the way we'll be sustained. That is how we survive spiritually, by feeding on Jesus himself. Now, Second, we'll talk about that a little more, what that means. But the second way that, uh, that, that he points to the heavenly bread is he's pointing to Jesus his own work. What was his occupation? Again, in John 4, he says, My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. This is in the context of when he went and talked to Samaritan women. And he's overjoyed because this one lady, right? I mean, the whole town, the Jews looked at Samaritans and thought, oh, these guys were never, and these guys, they're against God, they'll they never be in the kingdom of God. And Jesus goes in and says, what? These guys are potential worshipers of God. And then he says, open your eyes and look at the fields, they're ripe for harvest. And the disciples are saying, are you kidding me? This is not Jerusalem, God, this is Samaria. And he says, look, they're wide open. And in fact, that's what happens. See, Jesus lived to see this, to bring people into saving relationship uh, 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 with God. And the whole town believed because Jesus chose to work and be occupied with their faith. And finally, he points to the, uh, again uh, Christ's calling. Again, cast the net, big catch, they worked all night. We have seen that before, haven't we? It's the beginning of the Gospels. When, so, so, after this first time that Jesus uh, causes them to have this miraculous catch, um, Peter's response is that he falls on Jesus' knees because he realized, "Oh my goodness, this is not an ordinary thing. This is holy ground." He was astonished at the catch because he may have been a bad, bad fisherman, but he, he, he knew what a good catch was and what a miraculous catch was. And then Jesus says, "Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching." Again, bad translations in the modern translations. It doesn't say fishing. It says catching. You know, I didn't know what the difference was until a few years ago. I went fishing with my uh, friend. Me and Noah, we really literally worked uh, not, like, several hours trying to catch. We didn't catch anything. So I said to my friend, Brad, I said, why am I not catching anything? He goes, well, Han, this is why they call this fishing, not catching. So I was fishing, but I didn't catch anything. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's telling the disciples and he's telling us, guess what? He's going to enable us to catch. And I love the word catch. It's actually the word zoogreo The first part you understand, which is the form zoo or zoo, like, like zoology, like zoo, it means live animals. Isn't that great? That we're going to catch people, live people. They're spiritually dead, but they're live physically, and we're going to make them become live in Christ. I mean, what more exciting thing can there be? That's why Peter left everything and followed Jesus. And so, By reminding them of this another miraculous catch, Jesus is helping them to look beyond just fishing and just bread and look at the heavenly bread, which is fulfilling Christ's calling and the joy of the harvest. Finally, when he says, come and eat, this is too easy. Just like last week we saw, Jesus is pointing to the Lord's Supper where everything comes together. See, Jesus said during the Last Supper, Jesus said to them, do this, eat the bread, break the bread, eat the bread, drink the cup. Do this in remembrance of me. I just imagine, what were they thinking around the campfire as Jesus was breaking bread and giving to them and giving fish? I'm sure they were remembering all the great teachings of Jesus, beginning with, come to me and find rest. They worked hard all night, They were burned out. They were tired. And Jesus says, come. I'm going to give you rest. Perhaps we're reminded of what Jesus said, that they should be feeding on his words as he fed them bread. And also, in a subtle way, reminding them that their life is not over because they have a calling, his calling to fulfill. (laughs) Finally, Jesus shows his love. He loves them by allowing them to partner with them in his work of love, in his service of love, his labor of love. So he asked Peter, do you love me? Three times. And each time he says, if you love me, join me. Join me in feeding my sheep. Real quick points. Jesus entrusts his most precious sheep, my sheep, my lambs, he says, he entrusts them to Peter and the others. Just think about that. Just how much trust Jesus has and how much faith he had in Peter and even us. You know, all, Many of us can relate to that because we have little ones in our home that God has entrusted for their faith. And our job, our work, our primary occupation is to feed them and nurture them. Because they belong to Jesus. He cares, and cares for them. Jesus requires only one thing for us to feed and nurture his sheep, and it is to love him. Just love Jesus. That's the primary focus. And consequently, once you have that right, we can begin to love the sheep, because sheep are not lovable. Even my own children, I have to admit, there were times, we grumble. But I realize this. The more I try to delight in them and like them because of their accomplishments or obedience, the more God reveals how false my, 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 my love is. Only if I continue to feed on the love of Christ can I look at my children. No matter what they are, how they are, where they are in their stage of life, I can love them and wait, wait for God's kairos. Jesus commands them finally to feed, to care, to nurture the sheep. He, he says to feed them, not to flee like Peter did. Don't flee away because of, I cannot do this. I cannot handle such precious things. Nor try to fight as Peter did. Right? Just think about all the people who have taken up arms, so-called to defend Jesus and his lamb. It's wrong, 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 wrong. Because we're not supposed to flee or fight. And actually, and this was something that I had to confess to my family. I had to confess to my kids, uh, to my daughter and to my uh, wife this week as I was studying this, I'm sorry. I've been working very hard to try to fix you. I'm an engineer, right? And I've not been doing enough to feed you and to nurture you. And I say this to you so that I will tremble a little bit more and maybe stop myself from trying to fix them with my anger, with my plans, with my ideas rather than nurturing their hearts through the word of God and the spirit of God. He wants us to feed them the way he himself fed them. You know, I remember earlier in my marriage, I would go to my mentor, a guy who married me, and every time I complained about my wife, and I'm thinking, you're a guy, you know me, we've been friends for a long time, you'd be on my side. No, every time. All he would say is, Han, remember how Jesus loves you. Remember how he loved you. Now go love your wife the same way. And I actually used to get pretty mad at that. But he's right. And I'm still trying. Finally, he, he, wants, he commands us to feed them to the extent that he stretched out his arms wide. When he says, when you grow old, you stretch your arm," that's what it means. It's, it's colloquialism to die on the cross. He's saying, Peter, I want you to feed and care for my lamb the way I did, even to the point of death, a shameful death, and a painful death. So how Jesus loves us is how we, we are called to love. By loving those whom he loves, his sheep, the way he loves to the extent that he loves. This is a high, impossible calling. But it's doable. By the prayer of Jesus, by the words, his encouraging words, and the encouragement of our community and the accountability that we have. Real quickly, it is our turn. Right? Disciples live faithfully. So for some of you here who have not heeded Jesus' invitation of love, I just want to remind you of these three things that he says in John and the fourth one is says in Matthew. Jesus says, come and see. This is the first time that Jesus uh, encounters the two uh, apostles of uh, John who wanted to follow him and say, hey, Rabbi, where are you staying? And Jesus simply says, come and see. Just check it out. I'm not going to tell you you got to straighten out your life and quit smoking and quit sleeping around and whatever else you're doing. Just come and see. And Andrew got that because when he went to Philip, he said, hey, just come and see. That's the first thing. If you're not there yet, just come and see. Come into one of the house churches. Come again on Sunday. Listen to preaching, biblical preaching from Pastor Paul. And come and see what this is all about. And make that invitation to your friends. Don't try to convert them day one. That's almost impossible. Just ask them a simple request. Hey, just come and see. Right? And the second thing is come and drink. This is from John 7. On the last day, on the last and the greatest day of the, of, the, of the Festival of Tabernacles, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit, whom those he, who believed in him were later to receive. Come and drink is Jesus' way of saying, Come. You who are thirsting for something more in life than what this world can provide. You who believe that there's got to be more to this universe. Come and see and listen and put your faith in me. And see what happens to you. It's an invitation to believe. And then the next step is come and eat. Be fed by Jesus. Let him nurture you. Let him take care of your needs. And then finally, in Matthew, the famous Matthew 11, come and rest. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Brothers and sisters, if you find yourself burning out, that's not normal. May we take time just come to Jesus. Go to the closet. Go take a vacation. Be, be in a lonely place wherever. Spend some time alone with no one but Jesus in his word. And let him give you rest that he promised. He says, my, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. For those who are already rooted in Jesus' community of love. House church. Stick around, guys. Stick around. I guarantee you there's going to be many times when you don't want to stick around. You don't want to show up. Don't. Remember the disciples. Stick around. Good things happen when you stick around. And also stick together. When there are conflicts, don't run away. Don't avoid. Don't go to another house church, another church. Don't leave the church. Just stick together. Work it out. Work together in love. And speak Christ into one another. I believe this is probably one of the biggest weaknesses of our church and of our house churches. We still haven't learned what it means to speak Christ into one another. We know how to speak about weather, football, basketball, vacations, cooking, you name it, every topic. Work. Work we got to learn to speak Christ into each other. And the way we learn to speak Christ into each other is by allowing ourselves to be filled with this word and having the courage to say, God, I'm going to speak. I'm gonna, I may sound like a religious kind of a different person or even a hypocrite, but if your spirit prompts me, I'm going to speak the truth to my brother and speak Christ into their lives. And in doing so, we end up strengthening each other this is the community of Christ. This is what I believe our house church is, why God gifted us with this, that we may grow, that we may mature, that we may be strengthened. Finally, as we're being rooted, may we consider following Jesus' calling of love. There's three things that he said just fascinates me. One, lift your eyes and see. Just look around you. How many people have we already marked out as people that are irrelevant to us spiritually? the people that you see in the restaurants that you frequent, the neighbors that you hardly ever get to know, your relatives who, are, who thinks you're already kind of strange, your, your co-workers that are a little bit different. May the Lord lift our eyes and may we see them the way Jesus saw Samaritans as potential worshipers of God, creating the image of God, just waiting for the good news. And may we lower our nets may we lower our nets into the water. May we take the time just to open up our lives, just open it up, open up our schedule books, open up our houses, and let the fish be driven by Jesus into our nets. And I guarantee you when you do that, you may have already feel this in, in your own life or in your, um, you're like, I can't do this, God, this is too much. We're going to break. It's going to break our marriage. It's going to break our furniture. It's going to break our house. Trust me, Jesus won't let you the nets are going to stay open because He will help you. Experience what it means to be stretched to your limit and experience Jesus lift, increasing your capacity to love and to believe like you never believed that is possible. And finally, may we be engaged in feeding, in feeding and nurturing the precious people, the brothers and sisters, beginning with our own children. May we not give them more stuff. May we not just be content that we send them to one lesson after the other. May we ask ourselves, is this activity we're doing feeding and nurturing their soul? Or is it just feeding and nurturing their flesh? May that convict us. Because I was convicted as I thought about it this week. Don't follow the pattern of the world. It's all about feeding the flesh. May we be different because we know different because we have received this kind of love from Jesus who cares about our spiritual life far more, far more than anything else in our lives. Let's pray.